Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Welcome to the Intercooler podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Intercooler podcast with me, Dan Prosser, Andrew Frankel, my co-host. Um, we are joined by a guest today who I will introduce in just a moment. Um, Andrew, it's a busy episode. Yeah. We're covering lots of ground. There's, there's lots that we want to talk about. I've been driving a Porsche 911 variant that I've been desperate to drive for a long time. We've got a couple of electric cars that we're going to talk about, little and large. Very small, very big. Very small and very big. Yeah. Um, but we're starting with a bit of news. Yeah, exciting news for us, certainly, and hopefully for everyone listening to this. I think so, because the Intercooler is partnering with Pistonheads. Um, I mean, that name is surely going to be familiar to everybody listening to this. Um, Pistonheads is a titan of our world. The classifieds, the forums, the editorial, the videos. Um, It's huge, and we are launching our new partnership with them today. Um, Now, we'll talk to Pete in a moment who can tell us a bit more about Piston Heads, about the background, about what we're going to be doing together. Um, but actually, it feels like a really significant moment for me, For me, this, because it was 18 years ago that I first got paid to write about cars. Yeah, and that is a moment you never forget. It's a it? moment you never forget. It's when you become a paid automotive journalist. And yeah. when you've been dreaming of doing it for a long time, it's a big deal. And that was for Piston Heads. Um, and on and off, I've worked for Piston Heads ever since. Um, a few years ago, I was doing a lot of video work with Piston Heads. So this is a big deal for me. Um, now, clearly, there's a huge amount that the Intercooler and Piston Heads can do together over the coming months. Um, so to get us started, let's bring in Pete, who can tell us a bit more. So Pete, how long have you been with Piston Heads? Yeah, so Piston Heads founded in 1998 as kind of an online website for cars it really came out of a guy called Dave Edmonston or Petrol Ted on the forums who founded this he decided to take a punt on it as a place for him and his friends to get car news 
and then chat about cars. So that's where it sort of started from. And he grew it from there to build it up to what it is when I came along, which is when Haymarket bought it off him in 2007. Uh, and that's, that's when I went in. So I've been there 17 years, which sounds wow. incredibly long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been and gone in that period of time. And I've sort of been dragged back three times. So I've, I'm back in and I'm kind of a new sort of... Um, Part part of trying to trying to build piston heads, but back in that two thousand seven, I remember a friend of mine, Ben, saw an advert for it on the front of piston heads as they needed a software engineer. That's what I am as background, and I applied. Turns out, I found many years later, I was the only one who applied. <laughs> so, but you got the job. You're lucky. So I got the job. Uh, yeah, hundred percent success rate on that application, and it, it was a crazy time because. It was in the Haymarket offices in Teddington, which you've probably both been to. I lived in for a while. Lived yeah. in for a while. Some of them have lived in more of those. Yeah. And um, and we were sort of sat on the side next to Watercar and mm-hmm. Watcar around the corner. There was three of us working on it, only three of us. Wow. So we had Adam Towler, who's working as editor, Paul Garlick, who is a publisher. And we sat outside Patrick Fuller's office, uh, sort of big big name in, in sort of that Watercar world. And sort of looking at all these journalists over the other side, and I remember in the second week, uh, Paul turned around to me and said, oh, we've got this drive to drive the uh, Gumper to Polo around Brands Hatch. Uh, we, we need someone with a race license to do it, and you've got a race license because I failed racing driver when I was younger. Uh, so I was sent off to drive this car two weeks in, looking across at these interns who obviously want to dream of doing that to our first break, go and drive this car around and write about it and put it on the website. And it was just... It was just a crazy surreal thing. It's not, I, I wasn't trying to be a motoring journalist, mm. but I sort of fell fell into writing occasionally for it. But, but that but that is one of the charms of Pissin Heads. If you're because it's a small team, if you're associated with it, fun things happen and opportunities come up, and you get to get stuck in, don't you? It's great. And in, in that 2007 period, it was because we wrote stories. We had to like five stories a day. We were trying to get up on the sites. Mm. So I remember writing about a bridge being closed in the M1 just because you needed content. <laughs> um, We've all done it. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, the good thing back then, because you go, well, Twitter only started in 2006. Facebook was probably still in universities, hadn't really got out there. And it was one of the few sites where you got instant feedback on anything you wrote from the community. That, which was, that was the amazing thing about it. And I can remember thinking it was so innovative. Uh, and I also just thought thinking because what was I doing at the time? I was probably the editor of most. Well, I was probably an, I was an editor editing something, and I just thought this idea of actually getting your audience to write your content for you was just such a clever idea. And the whole thing about I mean the forums, which we just sort of take completely for granted now, was there anybody else doing it like that back then? I, I nobody nobody allowing so there was lots of forums around, very single make forums yeah. around, which is the beauty of Pissnets because I think Pissnets sits as kind of. If you don't like cars, you sit on piston heads. When you have a car, you go into a one-make forum and you used to talk there. And then you sell that car. And then there's no point being on that forum. Yeah. I still get a birthday request from like the MG ZTT Owners Club every year. And I'm like, I don't own one of those cars for years. But piston heads always sat there as, as, as kind of a place where you could talk about any car. And when you owned a yeah. specific car, you went in there and then you came back to <clears> piston heads. And I think the thing was about the commentary is it was... It had a lot of mainstream manufacturers even looking at it. I remember we did a piece on when the um, Vauxhall VXR8 came out and we did like engine noises of it and, and a piece. And their boardroom got together to watch the comments come in as we published the review of it because it was this is the only way you can get sentiment about a car. Yeah. Um, so so it's sort of crazy times. And, and there was another example, which I think it was when um, Ian Callum, one of your... Uh, one of your people who write for you, uh, 
launched the Jaguar XJ, and he they created um, the the kind of concept designs, and they got rave reviews across the forum. And then slowly, as kind of you went through the sort of natural progression of releasing a car and got to the spy shots, and kind of first people sort of spotting the car, suddenly the sentiment dropped inside mm. the forums. And I can't remember if it was Ian Callum himself or someone who worked in the office phoned up us and said, we're really worried about actually launching this car because we've seen this sentiment drop from really good designs to where we are. That they said, right, we're going to organize an event, get the most kind of influential people from your forums. We're going to set up somewhere in the Barclays and talk through why we've done certain things in the car. And you think now influences is everywhere. It's like trying to influence people. Mm. But back in... Those days, it was it was the single kind of influencing place for yeah. forum content, mm. and it is still <clears throat> it is still enormous. It's a massive online car community. The, th- the forums are thriving. Um, the classifieds have been a mainstay. The editorial um, is strong consistently on the homepage. Um, so, how has PH grown during the years that you've been involved? Yeah. So so. Over the years, it's it's very much that classifieds element has mm. has has grown a lot from when I first started. I think it was it was it was much more element. It was more that forums and editorial content. But classifieds has become more a part of it. It's it's more where you know it's where our revenue comes from to try and be able to do all the other stuff. Um, but I think the core has been always about making sure that we write about PH type cars. Now that's yeah. a really hard thing to define a PH type car because. A Fiat Panda 4x4 is probably a PH type yeah. car as well. But you, you just know, don't you? Other you things, know. yeah. And, and we were trying to define it the other day and it's going, it's really hard to define mm. what a PH type car is. It's just, it's just a feeling. It's interesting. Yeah. It, it's, yeah it's it, an interesting it is a car. car that is interesting to people who like cars. Yes, it's enthusiast cars. Mm. And, and our, yeah. our motto has always been it's like for enthusiasts, by enthusiasts. Because yeah. everyone who works on the site are just love cars. And we just try and do things for the enthusiasts that we would enjoy. So that's that we write about stuff we enjoy. We try and build functionality that um, we would enjoy. So if you go in the classifieds, we very much built it in a way that tried to match what people do in the forums, which is like, what car can I buy that has this certain criteria? Like it does not to 60 in under five mm-hmm. seconds or can carry my family or that kind of stuff. So not to 60 filters in our classifieds is just a, is a mainstay of, of what we have. Mm. Now, we're slightly scuppered by some of the data. You may see a Ford Transit van occasionally in there, but <laughs> but predominantly it's it's just a way of trying to trying to search for cars and interesting cars and make it that classifieds more an editorial experience well, as well. Is there such a thing as a sort of core car? Is it something like a, I don't know, an E46 M3? Is that the sort of, you know, the, the, the centre of your universe or, or, or is it really not possible to say what a kind of, the absolute sort of yeah core the car backbone is. car yeah. is i yeah i'd probably say porsche there's probably something around porsche yeah. sometimes we get called porsche and heads <laughs> the amount of porsche stuff we write yeah uh but yeah i'd say porsche and bmw is probably probably get, key we, around that we yeah. get a lot of that too. yeah we do we do we get a huge amount of that yes it's probably fair enough um so Pissonhead's big news at the moment is that you now have an auction platform um and it does seem that these days more and more people are looking to sell and buy their cars that way premium online auctions. Um, so why is Piston has getting involved in that side of the market? Yeah, so for the, for the car buying, we kind of looked across kind of how you do car buying or how you do car selling across the board. And I think when you're doing car buying, you look at three criteria, three sort of things you need to do, which is one, does the car match my criteria? That criteria may be, can it fit my family and does it do good fuel? But for us guys, it's more, does it drive well? Mm. Does it accelerate well? Does it make me look good kind of stuff? So there's, there's there's this criteria you need to buy a car. 
The next thing you want to know is, actually, am I paying a good money for this car? Am I going to be ripped off? Am I going to find one next week that's far cheaper and far better and have that kind of cognitive dissonance of buying the car? And the third thing is you want to make sure it's reliable. So when you look at selling, they kind of match that criteria, apart from it's mainly time and money. It's like, when do I want to get rid of this car and how fast do I want to get rid of it? And then I take a sacrifice of money to do that. Yeah, sure. So when we kind of looked across that enthusiast buying journey, we see that you've got the ability to part exchange your car in, because if you don't want to keep two with a dealer, or you can sell it privately in the classifieds, but you've got an unknown length of time and you've got to choose the price. Yeah. And that that's quite challenging when you're when you've got rarer cars, because there's not enough data points for that. And then recently you've got the kind of instant buy your car, but you're taking a sacrifice of money to get rid of the car really mm. quickly. And when we looked across that, we saw auctions actually sits in a nice spot between it is slightly a semi-distressed sale, because if you get the reserve price right or you have no reserve, you are going to get that car's going to be gone within the end of the auction because you know it's going to sell as opposed yeah. to classified keeps forever. And the other part is you're going to get fair market price for it because it is what someone's going to pay for it. And I, like you guys, I've got a Super Impreza <clears throat> WRX STI V2 sitting in my garage. I have not got a clue how much that car's worth. Mm. It could be five grand, it could be 15 grand, it could be 25 grand. It's really hard. There's none for sale out there. So auctions sits as a way to get more rare cars that you just don't know the value of, but it's the value someone wants to pay. That's the yeah. value of a car. Yeah. And if I was selling a car, particularly at auction, I'd want eyeballs on it. You know, that would that to me would seem like the most important thing. I'd want to give that car the best chance of reaching lots of people, getting lots of bids and going for its true market value. Um, and clearly what you need in that instance is an audience. Yeah. And that's what we have. We have a natural audience coming for our classifieds. We drop the auction cars into the classifieds so you get visibility. And what we're seeing from those auction cars is that they're getting far more engagement than some of our classified cars. So you get that spotlight on them and surface them up. And and the other good thing, we sort of talk about the forums and its influence, but we um, we had an Alpina for sale a couple of weeks ago. And the original owner who spec'd the car came onto the thread and talked about mm. that car. Yeah. So you actually have that community to support it. You have all those influential people to support it as well. So you can ask questions and answers. And, and in the auction, because you're buying online, that transparency and trust which we're trying to get across with lots of photos and lots of details is, is really important a part part of that auction process and do, do you think i mean to an extent clearly it's going to come slightly at the cost of classifieds um do you expect to lose a few classifieds from this or, or, or are they sort of seen as fairly separate entities i, I see them fairly, fairly separate i think they're they're People are going to have different ways they want to buy and sell cars. I don't, don't think this is a replacement. I think this is just another way for people to buy or sell cars. And I think with with classifieds, it's, sometimes you're overwhelmed by the number of cars there. Well, auctions, mm. there's, there's quite a lot of people who are sitting there going, I wonder what itch to scratch next on my car buying or my car journey. Yeah. And suddenly this car pops up that... Um, you haven't seen one around for ages. We had a Noble M400 turn up. You're going, hmm, that's interesting. I might fancy doing that. Or really old Peugeot 206 GTI 1.6 that has been owned by somebody for 18 years. And you're going, that's interesting. I may may take a stab on it. So it's actually surfacing up those who are very interested in cars and maybe want to move in the next cars, but you're not really sure what the next car is. Mm. So it sort of sits that world as well as those who just 
just feel that you know this is a good way of, of buying a car. I don't have to do that haggling that you get yeah. with private sales because yeah. it's an agreed number at the end of the day. It takes some of that away. And, and you are presumably just facilitating the sales. You're not in any way warranting them or backing the cars or, or, or anything else like that, are you? No, it, it's quite it's quite hard to do that. Um, yeah to actually make it financially work, to be honest with sure. you, for, for, the, for that to happen. So it is similar to private sales. So what we're trying to do is, is we talk about that transparency, is make it as honest as possible. And that way you can get for a better market value for it. I think if you leave sort of certain parts ambiguous on a description, somebody's got to build that into their head of mm-hmm. the bidding going, well... You know, I've got a TVR Camara, the outriggers might need redoing. So if it's not mentioned in the advert, I'm going, right, I'm going to allocate a certain amount to, yeah. to to sort of deal with that and take the bid away. So we actually find the more honest and the more, like, this is where the scrapes are, these are where the damage mm, are, absolutely. actually a much better yeah. way of getting high value well, as well. I always do that. I mean, it's just common sense, isn't it? If somebody's sort of saying, well, this is what's good about this car and this is what's not so great about this car, you know, the, the sense is, and it's probably fair, that you're dealing with an honest seller. Whereas if somebody only met, oh, this is amazing, this is amazing, you think, well, this car's 25 years old or whatever, it's not going to be perfect. Mm. And so what aren't you telling me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, th- I think, uh, especially with sort of the Pissonheads members, is they care about cars. Yeah. So, and they know them as well, yeah. don't they? They know cars inside out, a lot of, a, a lot of those forum users. There's so much knowledge in there, um, which is, that must be a huge comfort for buyers, actually. Um, so it's quite early days for your auction platform, isn't it? But what have the, the highlights been? Yeah, so it's early days, so we kind of launched it at our 25th, 25 years of business, 25th anniversary last August. So we kind of trialed it for the last half of the year just to learn loads of stuff, just to work Mm. out how it it all works. Um, I think sort of the highlights highlights across that probably, well, let me think. I think the Noble M4400 was a good car because it was just, they're quite quite rare and unique. Um, We've had some, yeah, some some sort of rarey rarish cars cars go through. There's some some coming up at the moment. So we've got um, a Formula Ford uh, coming mm. up uh, very shortly, which is which is quite exciting. And I think it comes with uh, discounted tuition if you want to buy the Formula Ford <laughs> Champion. So there's a bit of rarity. Um, do you, do you, do you get just generally speaking in the classifieds as well? Do you get competition cars coming through? Uh, yeah, we get a few competition cars coming through. I think it's not as much as we. Um, we kind of don't have separate sections for them, so they sort mm. of fall in fall in with anything else, really. Um, but that's that's kind of yeah. So so we're just trying. I think as we kind of experiment out, it's just seeing does classic cars work as well for audience? Does it? Is it more? That's right. Stuff? Yeah, you, you'll so figure it out. You, the board. You'll figure out what what works well on an auction platform, won't you? What sort of yeah. price value? What kind of car? What age? Yeah, because recently we had a BMW Z3M Coupe. Nice yeah. little bread fans coming through. Cool. Love those little cars. Yeah. Um, it was a Cat N because it had a bit of uh, front bumper damage, which you, know, you can write any car off these days with a little scrape. Mm. Um, there's not that many in the classifieds, but that kind of that it went for just over £20,000. Um, which is good, good value for that kind of car. So I think that was quite interesting. And the other thing we had, we had a Super Impreza where somebody, as a Pissonhead member, had taken the three-litre turbo H6 engine from an Outlook and just went, oh, does that fit in a Super Impreza? And just put it in the Super Impreza, built it, 
and um, decided where well, he's he's done that kind of thing and wants mm. to sell it by auction. So there's a complete rare car that a guy from Hungary bought. He flew in, wow, drove the car back to Hungary. We did check to make sure he made it. He back. made it. Yeah, and he was very happy. But, so, but that's a great that. example because how do you how do you figure out what something like that's worth? Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no way, and it's really hard for us when we're trying to even set reserves on cars mm. or have no reserves to go. Well, what what is the value of this car? Mm. And you have to do a lot of research to try and work that stuff out. Yeah. So. I mean, if you are interested in buying a car from Pistonheads Auctions, just head to pistonheads.com. You'll find the auctions um, <clears throat> page very easily. And if you're interested in selling your car via Pistonheads Auctions, um, again, go to the homepage, pistonheads.com, find sell and choose sell by auction and just fill in the form. Do remember to tell them that Pistonhead, that the intercooler sent you. Um, there's a drop down uh, menu. Just set, select the intercooler, please. Um, Pete, just to finish off here, it's always interesting when someone is sort of in and around the the world of auctions of classifieds and understands the market and what's going on. I just wonder what sort of how's the year started out? What are the trends? Because there was a little bit of doom and gloom last year, wasn't there? Yeah, I think um, this year, doom, doom and gloom, is it, is it still there? I think it started to steady up. So mm. I don't know whether it's really doom and gloom or whether there was just inflated prices halfway through the year as well. I think it's so a lot of that, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of stuff has been quite expensive for quite a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. So And, and you wonder whether this isn't just a sort of a, a, bit, a bit of correction. a natural correction. Yeah, so I think we've corrected down to sort of the beginning of um, – it's all the 2023 numbers, and we can see that in the data. So we have a lot of asking price data. So I can't tell you what the car sell for, but we know what people are trying to advertise them for um, across the board. And I think we're, we're seeing, one, that you're just seeing that kind of market correction that's mm. happening. Two, I think as you go for a market correction, dealers are just being more savvy about the stock they bring into into their forecourt because they just don't want a depreciating car sitting on there, yeah. sitting a the lot. Well, when cars are appreciating, you can, you can take yeah. gamble. It's just yeah. making money as it sits there if you sell it. Um, and then I think there is a little bit of a price challenge for people buying cars. So sub-enthusiast cars... Um, under 20k are actually doing reasonably well it's the richer stuff that's actually actually dropping and, and a really good example is if you look at like m3s across the board different generations of m3s you can see that the sort of the newer m3s they've probably dropped 10 percent in the last six months wow but you're now seeing kind of the sort of the the older models not the e30 because that just went mm, it's cancer, nuts, that went yeah. nuts in but like 2016 and these, these, yeah. yeah but the 46s and the yeah it's kind of the 36s and they those are all sort of converging at 20 grand they're all ending up about the same price which is which is crazy because i'd say the v8 is probably the better one mm. <laughs> of all those ones um, but they're all converging where, where they are and they're sort of staying steady. So you're seeing that like the older cars come up, you're seeing the newer cars go down, um, which is which is really interesting. And there's some other little trends. You, know, you take Fiesta STs, the the uh, the ST3s are doing well, the ST2s are doing rubbish. But are they? No. Yeah, so, it matters so, that much. So it's like even down at that that kind of level. Wow. I think the announcement, the Fiesta finishing, is is probably sort of helped some of some of those mm. things across the board. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just cross and electric cars, especially premium electric cars. They've they've seen drops as well, but I think that's well well yeah. advertised, especially Teslas. But that goes across to the e-tron or the yeah um, the other versions. 
Yeah, everything, I'm sure. Um, okay, well, we need to leave it there. But Pete, thanks for coming in and telling us all about Piston Heads and Piston Heads' new auction platform. Um, it'll be interesting to catch up a little bit later in the year. Maybe we'll see what the market's up to. You can tell us more about what's come through the auction platform. But, I mean, the Inschooler and Piston Heads are going to do plenty over mm. the next few months. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, let's get stuck in and make the most of it. Really excited. Thanks, guys. Great. Thank Not you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Andrew, electric cars then, little and large. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I drove the little one. Yes. Why does it work out this way? Why do I drive <laughs> the relatively underpowered, relatively inexpensive one, uh, and you drive the Rolls-Royce Spectre? <laughs> There's a clear but, pecking order well, here, isn't well, there? Well, I'm not sure. I've been trying to drive the Spectre for a very. Oh no, actually, no, because I've driven the little one that you had that that, that, that you had a go, and I drove it a, a, a little bit ago. Um, I don't know. Maybe just people sort of look at me and think that you're sort of naturally <laughs> plutocratic, and those are the sort of guys you ought to be seen wafting about in. Yes. Yeah, so I I had a, a go in an Arbath 500e. You've been driving the Rolls Royce Spectre. Yeah. I mean, those are as close as the the two bookends of the electric car world as you can get at, at the moment. Mm. Um. So our Bath 500e, it's a fun, charming little thing. Um, I actually preferred it significantly, dynamically, to any other petrol or bath that I'd driven. This one actually felt like it had... Yeah, I mean, that's because actually the the underlying proposition, the platform it's on, mm. if you just drive a normal electric Fiat 500, it's really good. I'm sure. Whereas the old Fiat 500, I'm sorry for all the millions of people who have them in there, they look nice, but they were just they just weren't very good cars yeah. in terms of, you know, their the ride was shocking. They didn't handle. They just they didn't steer. They didn't steer. Yeah. They just weren't. And you know, and you can put as many R bar stickers and they give as much power. And you're just not going to get around that. Mm. I never drove one. I didn't. I never drove one I liked. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's probably fair. But this thing, it is a fun little thing. Um, dynamically, much better than other R baths I've had a go in. I think it looks super cool as well. Um, it's got a few problems. Let's yeah. let's be honest about this. First well, of all, one particular one, which, which I didn't really come across, but you did big time. Yeah. So the first issue is that it's it's not cheap, and this is a fairly common thread through EVs at the moment, isn't it? It's thirty eight grand, thirty eight grand for a little it's, electric I mean, car. Goodness me! I mean, if you think about well, when they stopped selling it, what you'd have paid for a Fiesta ST, mm. Mm. you know, it would have been. I don't know, 16,000 pounds less than that. Yeah, it would have been early twenties, wouldn't it? And way more fun to drive. Way more fun to drive. Yeah, and you didn't have to park it for however many hours every time you ran out of. Gym. And I mean, it's a really re- the thing is is electric cars, particularly electric cars like that, they're all what I call qualification cars. You always have to qualify what you're saying. You can say this is a really really good car 
for an EV, for a mm. small electric EV. Um, you never had to qualify a Fiesta ST. You just said, this is a fantastic car. Mm. Full stop. Mm. Well, let's talk about some of the qualifications. With me on board, it's a 1,500-kilogram car. Yeah. We know EVs are heavy. We know they're going to get lighter. The technology will improve. Perhaps there'll be a quantum leap in battery tech at some point. Yeah, but I mean, until then... How, how long have we been waiting for that? Until, I mean, I've been in business 35 years, and I've, you know, the next big thing's always just around the corner. It's like hydrogen. It's always mm. 10 years away. Hydrogen's been 10 years away ever since I've been got in this business yeah. 35 years ago. And, you know, there are some really quite encouraging because the whole solid state thing was once there was a time wasn't it when Dyson was doing his car and that was going to be very exciting and they were going to you know nail solid state which everybody knows is in theory is the perfect solution in practice is almost impossible to productionize there are some quite exciting conversations now starting to happen about maybe you could do it after all but we have been here before haven't we mm. so you know I, i'm gonna you know I, i'm gonna wait until it happens before i start getting excited <laughs> about that so the the thing about the arbath is it's okay it's a little electric car it doesn't have a huge battery i think 42 kilowatt hours or something maybe a bit bigger um and so inevitably the range is limited mm. they they say it'll do 158 miles wltp um of course when it's cold that's much less and when you're driving it when well the, the, the other issue is if it was a pure city car if it's a, a fiat 500e yeah and it really did, does just live in the city and maybe sometimes you go along a motorway where there is a good good charge network yeah that kind of range is okay um but a sporting ev a hot hatch the idea of that surely certainly to me is that you get out of the city you get away from the main arterial routes you get into the hills into you know more remote parts drive a car like that, the way it should be driven, on roads like that, and you're not going very far before you have to go and find a charge point somewhere. You are not going very far. And that was actually a bigger problem for me in terms of going out for a fun drive hmm. than the lack of sound, than the lack of a manual gearbox or any of that stuff. It was, the it was range anxiety. The, the problem is it's always in the back of your head. So, mm. you know, picture the scene. It's a, it's a Saturday or it's a Sunday, and you, you want to go meet a mate in a pub or take your dog for well, whatever, somewhere. And, you know, it's 50 miles away. Mm. Okay. And you're thinking, well, okay, you've got a full charge now, but it's a bit uphill and down dale. And I am going to want to drive it in a quite spirited way. Uh, 50 miles there, 50 miles back, probably do a bit of messing around while they're there. And you're going to be thinking, hmm, I'm probably going to have to factor in some kind of stop at some place. And A, that is not what you want to be doing at your weekend. B, there is going to be this anxiety, which you will know all about, about, you know, is there going to be a charging point available? How fast is it going to charge? Um, you know, how long am I going to just be sat there at my weekend twiddling my thumbs, doing something which otherwise I would not have to do? And that, to me, would just it would just slightly take the edge off my enjoyment of the day, knowing that that was just waiting for me. Mm. <laughs> I think I feel a bit sunnier, a bit rosier, a bit more optimistic about all this stuff than than you do. I'd, I'd actually, and I suspect you would as well. I'd love to have a little EV at home. Um, purely for coming into town, for, for knocking around oh, the city. I'd, I'd really enjoy that. I, I had to bring the M2 into Bristol for um, a hospital appointment for my daughter. And parking around the children's hospital is a nightmare. Yeah. And we were wedged into a tiny space. Yeah. It's a two-door car. Um, so it's very difficult to open the door and get her in and out. And I just thought, you know, if I had a little tiny electric car right now, this Brilliant. would be fantastic. Yeah. That for me is what they are for. That's what, that's what they saying, do. You know, and I live, so we're in a studio in Bristol at the moment, and I live about 30 miles away. Mm. 
um, most of which is either motorway or city driving. I've no interest in driving anything interesting on a route like that. If I had a little Renault Zoe or something like that, so you just nip in, nip out, park it anywhere, be completely unobtrusive, perfect. Mm. But, but the problem is, is that, that well, so we mustn't go on about it because it's what we always say. It therefore has to be a second car, mm. and you have to have you know off street parking so you can charge it at home. And therefore, it means they're not for everyone. They're not these great democratizing machines that some people I think seem to think that they are. The, yeah, the issue for me is that when you need them to do something else, something other than just zip around the city, you are then limited. Mm. But it's more of an issue with something that is trying to be a bit sporty. Because, as I say, it has to be. It should be driven in a certain way. It should be driven on a certain road. So, it was. It was an eye-opening experience for me. Um, but I, when when we had lots of charge and I was on a great road, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the the other bookend, the big one. Because people have been saying for years, haven't they, that electrification, full electrification, will suit a Rolls Royce. Mm. Perfectly. Well, I mean, I they did one. I drove. What was it? Was the hundred EX concept yeah. car about? Well, it must have been ten eleven. On a years. Phantom, was it? It's on a Phantom. Yeah. I went and drove it. I went and wafted around uh, West Sussex in it for a, half a day, and I just thought, if ever a car um, would really, really benefit from electrification, this is it. It was fabulous. Mm. And so is the Spectre. Yeah. It's well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to one or two drawbacks in a minute, but just as a thing to be in. To do those things that you want a Rolls Royce to do, mm. um, it is absolutely incredible. It is the quiet. So, so, I mean, it's one of those things where because it's so quiet, because you just feel so completely at peace in it. I think it kind of thinks kids you into believing other stuff, which may or may not be true. Because I mean, I can't believe, for instance, how well it rides. Really? Um, now, maybe that's because it rides that well. Or maybe it's because I'm in such a sort of relaxed mood because it is so unbelievably quiet. Um, I'm just feeling fantastically well disposed towards it. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not exactly a new thought, but, you know, the weight doesn't matter in a Rolls-Royce. It's 2.95 tonnes. <laughs> okay? That's a lot, isn't it? Which means it's well over three before basically anybody's got in it. Yeah. Uh, and that's before options. Um, but if ever a car could get away with weighing three tonnes, goodness, uh, it's a Rolls-Royce. Mm -hmm. um, the instant talk... Um, and they've they've actually programmed the throttle in a very sensitive way because it's not like a Tesla which just goes bang. Just shoots off the yeah, line. It doesn't yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, it's actually I think it might be the, probably the fastest accelerating accelerating Rolls Royce there is, but it mm. doesn't feel. It does it in a very elegant, very Rolls Royce kind of way. There's the silence and yeah, it's just it's just perfect. It's a perfect for want of a better word powertrain for a car like that. Mm. Um, it just works really really well apart from and maybe these things don't, i've been wondering whether these things matter or not in a rolls royce i reckon it's practical i think the wltp range is a sort of like 320 something like that um when it came to me um when it came on a truck and it said it was fully charged it had a advertised range of i think about 260 and I think that probably means that most people most of the time would struggle to get much more than 200 miles out of it. And then obviously because it's got a battery the size of an oil tanker in it, you know, you're going to need to be parked for quite a long time, particularly if you're at home, to charge it up again. Um, it doesn't charge very quickly. It's really? got a 400-volt system. It's not an 800-volt system like even, you know, Hyundai's and Kia's give you these days, let alone Porsche's, which surprised me a bit. 
Um, I think what Rolls-Royce would say is, well, it doesn't really matter because it'll be somebody's seventh or eighth car. Mm. And it will be a high days and holidays cars. It will be. But I, I, I just think a car like that is a car I'd want to use because it is such a wonderfully nice place to be. It's such a great thing to be in. I'd want to be in it all the time. Um, and I don't know, but I imagine your typical Rolls-Royce customer is probably a bit more unwilling to spend their time sat at motorway filling stations while their mm. car charges up than, than other people. So I'd be interested in thinking about in, in, in the thinking behind that, there is a bit too much BMW in it. Mm. So, you know, I've come out of a M340i touring long-termer, um, and I knew exactly how all the infotainment would work instantly. Yeah. Uh, it does, it was not entirely touch Not that it's it, bad, I'm sure. It's not bad at all, no. Yeah. And they've still got a controller, which is very nice. Um, no, it's not bad at all. But it, what it doesn't do is, you know, in a Phantom where the sort of the screen disappears. Mm. So you just basically got a slab of wood. doesn't do that. So it's always there. Little things like that. But, I mean, I am sort of um, being a bit pernickety here. It is a, it is a, it is a fantastic thing to just stooge about the place. Mm. So do you think that clearly is the future then for, for, ben, for Rolls-Royce powertrains? Big battery and a couple of motors. Yeah. I think... I, th- I Do think... away with the V12s? I think there will always be the diehard traditionalists. I think there mm. will be people, and Rolls-Royce will continue to want to build the cars that its customers um, want them to build. And I think that they will continue to do the V12s for as long as they possibly can. But I think they will become an increasingly niche product. Um, and, you know, and I think it'll be one of those occasions, we've been here before with cars, haven't we, where people buy the V12 knowing it's not the best option. And they don't care because they want a V12. They want a V12 Rolls Royce. Um, and I kind of get that. Um, but, okay, okay, would I rather, given that, you know, we're not talking about sort of, you know, handling or dynamism or driving particularly fast, would I rather, you know, do what I've done, spend five days wafting about in a Spectre or a or a Ghost? I'd, I'd rather be in the Spectre. Mm. It does more of the things I want a Rolls Royce to do and does them better um, and that's surely what a Rolls Royce should all be about. Mm. Gosh. Well, there you go. Rolls Royce Spectre. Um, okay. So finally, yeah, I've at long last driven a 911 Dakar. Hey, there you go. Ever since we saw the, you know, the spy shots of that. Do you remember those spy shots of a clearly a 911 riding a bit higher? Mm. And we all thought, what's that? Yeah. What are they up to? Um, and then the rumours kind of swirled and then they were... Yeah, the announcement that they were building what's essentially a, I still don't know what to call that kind of car. Off-road sports car, maybe. I don't know what it is, but it's a it is a new breed of performance car, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you know, and it is in a little niche at the moment. There's mm. only the Dakar on the Hurricane Storato. Indeed, um, but that'll change. Mm. There'll be more, won't there? About well, well, I mean, tell me what you think. Did you like it? I liked it a lot. I mean, I only drove it on the road. I yeah. didn't drive it. You drove it through the flipping Sahara Desert. So we've had slightly different experiences. <laughs> I was in, um, I, where was I? I was in the hills just outside Bristol. Um, so not the, the Sahara Desert. But do you know what? I, I'm i not sure, even if I had the money, I'm not sure I would ever be brave enough to rattle my own 
what was it, 160, 70, 80,000 pound car yeah. over gravel and rocks and all the rest of it. No. I just, I don't know if people would do that, will no, they? No, but that's not what the car's actually about, is it? No. The fact that it can is is very nice. But you know, goodness knows, there are all sorts of cars which do all sorts of things, which they never actually get to do in the real world, and they still get bought for those reasons. People yeah. just like to know that they can do them. Like 200 miles an hour. 200 miles an hour, like, you know, Range Rovers going up the side of mm. mountains, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the, the fun of it actually isn't that you can go and pretend you're doing the Dakar rally. Yeah. It's that on the road, you've got a bit more ground clearance. You've got a bit less grip. It was on the Scorpion tires. Yeah. So the are there are there three different options? Is there a super knobbly tire and a No, I think there's a Scorpion, okay. um, which is the sort of standard on off road tire. And you can get a summer tire for it and you can get a winter tire. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. So that is the, the most off roady tire yeah, definitely. that they do. Yeah, absolutely. Um and yeah, so the the point about it is that you have a bit less grip, you have a bit more ground clearance, you have a bit less, a bit more body movement, mm. um, a bit more sidewall, just bit, a bit more. Yeah. Mm, so it's so yeah. it's actually heading off in the opposite direction to a lot of modern track focused yeah. sports cars, yeah. which have more grip, at least in the dry, stiffer suspension, you know, lower ride heights, less body movement. Yeah. Um, which is great if you're driving on track. But it's kind of when you're on the road, it feels it, what you find is that you're driving faster and faster and faster just to try and feel something, mm. just to try and feel the car, absolutely edge up against its own limits, and that can be frustrating. In the Dakar, you don't get that. No, you don't get that at all. It's lovely. You can enjoy so much more of what the car does. Yeah, you can. Yeah, and you don't have to go totally bananas. No. Um, and then the sort of added benefit is it's an all-round car right through winter, even if it's snowing. When the roads are in a terrible state, as they often are towards the end of winter, um, when it's wet and soggy and miserable outside, away you go. I mean, I have so often, I have fantasized about getting a Dakar mm. in dark grey or something like that, yeah, taking, all the bad, taking all the badges off it, yeah. making it look as un-Dakar as possible. And that's it. That's your, that's your literally, that's the car you, you spend the rest of your life in. Mm. Mm. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Brilliant. You, you never call it the Dakar. It's just it's just your it's just your daily steer. It happens yeah. to be a nine eleven. Yeah. And it wouldn't matter what the world threw at you. Mm. You'd just keep going. You would. You really would. And as standard from the factory, they come with just two seats. I don't know why they do that. I don't know why they take the rear seats out. But of course I didn't know that, do they really? Yeah. But of course there are people who'll put them back in for you. Yeah, but is it homologated with only two seats? I guess so. I guess so. That's very strange. Mm. I, I'm amazed I didn't know that. But you can you can get them put back in. I think any 911. So well, certainly if it doesn't have a cage. So th- people are doing it to GT3 Tourings. Yeah. Which all of a sudden, particularly if you've got little ones, makes a big difference, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, wow. So that that is that is on the fantasy list for me. 911 Dakar rear seats. Yeah, muted spec. Yeah. Scorpion tires. Yeah. That would see me through. Um, Okay, right. Well, let's wrap that one up there. Thank you, everybody, for listening or for watching, if you did, on YouTube. Um, hopefully, by now, you know that we are in a studio recording these and we're filming them. Yeah. Um, and we're making the full episodes available on YouTube. So for those lunatics who want to see us as well as listen to us... <laughs> Hard to imagine, you, though, it is. You now can. Um, so however you're listening or watching, please just subscribe, whether that's to the YouTube channel, whether that's to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever app you might be using just hit the follow button or the subscribe button and remember we'll be back here same time same place next week see you then
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.